Hey friends, you know I love a good story, especially if it's a God story that encourages and equips us in our walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America, an international author and traveler on this journey of faith, and I have a faith-building story for you today. Before we get to that, though, I have a request for you. Tell me which woman of the Bible has inspired, encouraged, or taught you something in your walk of faith. Email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org and tell me why. I just might read it in a future episode to encourage others who are listening. Please remember, email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org. Second Chronicles 16.9 in the New King James Version tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. What an amazing truth. God shows up and works on behalf of those who are fully committed to him. That is a promise and an assurance we have from the Lord. My guest, Gloria Robbins, has seen God come through for her over and over again. Gloria holds a bachelor's degree in education from West Texas State University and a master of arts in practical theology from Oral Roberts University. She and her husband have worked in ministry for over 35 years. They've pastored 25 years with 21 of those years at a church they planted where Gloria served as women's pastor. Throughout the years, she has also been a classroom teacher in public and private schools. Her passion, though, is teaching the Word of God and communicating these truths in creative, concise ways that women connect with, so they are inspired to love the Word. Gloria has spoken at numerous women's retreats and written articles for various publications, and she also volunteers her time as a court-appointed special advocate for youth. Gloria and her husband, Lonnie, have been married 43 years. They have two married children and six beautiful grandchildren. I've been acquainted with Gloria for over a decade now, and she is quite a delight. Welcome, Gloria. Thank you. Glad to be here. Gloria, you grew up going to church, but didn't wholeheartedly commit your life to the Lord until you were a young adult. But tell us a little about your early years, as well as some of the positive and even negative influences that carried you forward in your life. I was raised in church. It was a very small church. Um, pretty legalistic in its teachings, but it was solid salvation church. Uh, my mother was a Christian. My father was not a Christian. And he was a, a pretty harsh and a hard man to live with. So mother did not experience the joy of Christian life. And I never saw that growing up. Um, I had no friends in church so church was just not a big deal to me, even though I said the sinner's prayer when I was a child, um, and those seeds were planted in my heart, but I never lived the Christian life until I went away to college. Yeah. So when you did go away to college, God became real to you. Share about that. Yes, he did. Um, I was quite the partier, which I, I disagrees me to, to say that now, but I, um, I was very wild, very much a partier, uh, did not live for the Lord at all. And I met though, probably my first year in college, I met a group 
from the Navigators Association. And I saw in them something that I had never seen. I saw joy. I saw peace. Uh, I saw clean living. And I knew that that's what I was missing in my life. It took a while for me to get to that place of surrender to the Lord. But when I did, it was transforming. When I surrendered my life to the Lord, he transformed me inside. Everything changed about me. Everything. Yeah. I mean, you told me one time that, I mean, the grass looked greener. The trees were prettier. The birds, that you could hear their songs. It was it was like uh, you were alive for the first time even almost. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this was, I was in college uh, right at the end of the Jesus movement. Um, and there was an, a young man that was interning at the church that I began to go to. And he started talking to me about getting filled with the Holy Spirit and when mm-hmm. I did that, there was no stopping me. There was no turning back. I had found what I had been missing all those years. And that has never gone away. Mm, amen. Well, during that season, you had a very real experience with God working on your behalf. Um, like Second Chronicles 16.9 says, tell us what happened and how it how it happened. I never had any direction like a vocational or educationally, I just had been told you have to go to college, you have to get a degree. And I was kind of wasting money. So I dropped out of college for about a year and a half. Then I decided to go back. Right after I became a Christian, my father was transferred from New Mexico, where I was pretty much raised, to Texas. And I had gone home for the summer just on a weekend, and my husband-to-be was home for, uh, he was from Pampa, and he was home for the summer, and I met him. You know, I had been a Christian maybe six months, but when I met him, I just knew there was just something in me that I had never experienced, and I knew he was the one I was going to marry. He didn't think that (laughs) at all. And you didn't uh, tell him that though, right? (laughs) No, no, no. I didn't tell anybody that. So I went back to college in New Mexico. He went back to college. He was in college in Dallas and he got engaged. Then he broke it off. When he got uh, out of college, he moved to uh, Florida and started uh, He was a youth pastor at a church in Florida, got engaged there, broke it off. And here I was when I finished college, I I moved to Pampin and was teaching school. And I just kind of waited through his engagements. I thought, well, if I really did hear the Lord, uh, then I'm not going to marry until he marries because I'm not going to be the one that blows this. So I, um, eventually he ended up moving back to Pampa and took a job as a youth pastor at the church I attended. And I thought, okay, this is going to work. Well, 
he didn't think I'd make a very good youth, pa- a very good pastor's wife. So he really didn't give me the time of day. We may have gone out maybe one or two times, and I thought, okay, now now this is headed the right way. And then a church uh, choir, a, a college choir from a, a, a Christian college, it came and held services one Sunday at our church and there was a little girl in that choir that could sing like an angel and he she turned his head and he dropped me like a hot potato so we did not speak for 11 months other than I mean we attended the same church but we just stayed on different sides of the sanctuary and never really had any interaction just went along on our bit on our way um and then one day, about 11 months later, I was teaching school. He showed up at my room on my conference hour and asked me to marry him. Wait a minute. You hadn't talked in 11 months and he walked in and asked you to marry him? Yes, he did. It doesn't sound real, but that is exactly how it happened. Um and he is not one given to dreams. He just doesn't dream that much. But when he does, it is pretty spiritual. And the Lord began to give him dreams. And he would wake up at night. It, the dreams were about, uh, I had married someone else or something. I mean, s- several nights in a row, he had these dreams. And he would just wake up in a cold sweat. And he knew if he didn't marry me, he would miss God. Wow. So he just showed up. And three months later, we were married. (laughs) Well, you had to know for sure that he was the one because, you know, after 11 months of a cold shoulder, that must have been quite something. (laughs) It was quite a shock. But, you know, God does things suddenly. I would not recommend that that's how you do your start your marriage, but it worked for us. Yeah. So with a whirlwind engagement... You know, you really had known each other for six years, but most of that time you hadn't had contact. So you pretty suddenly you're married. You are a pastor's wife now, which is big. That's a big change. That's a lot of responsibility. What were those first few years like and what was the Lord showing you? Oh, those first few years were very, very hard. And when we got married, we really didn't know each other very well and certainly not enough to marry each other and we really didn't love each other we just both got married out of obedience to the Lord we were more committed to the Lord than we were to each other and that's what kept us together I'm a firm believer that if you love Jesus you do what glorifies him um, over the years, I've had women come to me whenever uh, they're just through with their marriage and they want out and they have no scriptural grounds. There hadn't been adultery, abandonment, you know, not even abuse. They just want out of their marriage and they'll look at me and say, God wants me to be happy. And that's their whole premise for wanting out of the marriage. They just don't. And and that's just so, so, um, such a, a trap of the enemy for that to happen. I think about my mother uh, when she was 
when my father was moved to Texas, was transferred to Texas with the oil company, she was not going to go with him. She had decided she was through with the marriage. She was done, and she was not going to move with him. And she went to her pastor for counseling, and he said, you need to move with your husband. You need to stay in your marriage. And because she was faithful to God, my father became a Christian. She had 14 wonderful years. And that's what I'm so thankful for with Alani and me is we were so committed to what Jesus wanted that that's why we stayed married. And he healed our marriage. And we have a great marriage. <laughs> yeah, 43 years. Yeah. You eventually started a family. Um, how did that impact your career, your career aspirations, your involvement in ministry? I um, I never wanted to be a career mom. I wanted to raise my kids, so I quit teaching so I could stay home with my kids. And then the Lord moved us uh, to a small farming community in uh, uh, here in the Texas Panhandle. And we pastored there for three and a half years. And it was such a time of healing. I mean, we were in this little bitty town and we, we had to depend on each other. And the Lord just grew us, grew our love for each other, uh, grew our maturity, our spiritual uh, maturity. And it was a wonderful place. My husband said I learned to cook there. because <laughs> farmers' wives were wonderful cooks and, and I cooked a lot. So um, we did that for three and a half years, and it was a wonderful time. We, we still have lifelong friends from that church. And then the denomination the that we were a part of offered my husband a, um, a chance to start a discipleship program for the district. And this was for young adults that were, were out of high school. And so we left the church, and we um, developed this discipleship program for the district. And we ran that for several years. So even though you are a leader, you're in ministry, you, you still had some areas of personal challenge. Tell us about that and what the Lord revealed to you that allowed you to get some victory. I had several, but I'll tell you about two of them. <laughs> um, I remember I, uh, I always had, even growing up, I always had this, uh, feeling of never fitting in somewhere, uh, like I just never quite belonged. And um, we were pastoring here in Pampa, the church we planted, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, and I remember walking, I was out walking the track with some some girls out on the, the football track. We were walking and everything was just fine. And then all of a sudden, this horrible feeling of not belonging and, and I need to get out of there came over me. And I remember thinking, Lord, what is this? And and to myself, I just said, what is happening? And as soon as I said that, he immediately, just like a, a flashback in a movie you would see, he immediately showed me of a time when I was in sixth grade and I went up to some girls, two or three girls, and, you know, just to say hi, and they looked, and one of them turned to me and says, do I have to offer you candy to go away? And when I hadn't thought of that in years, and when the Lord uh, showed that to me, it was just like, oh, this is rejection I'm feeling. This is not right. 
And about that same time, I, I was serving on the board of our local crisis pregnancy center. And my mother told me one day, she says, I think it is just so wonderful that you're serving at a crisis pregnancy center because when I got pregnant with you, your dad wanted me to abort you. And whenever she said that, I never knew it. And I went, oh, well, I guess this is where this rejection started in me. Yeah. I began to just live in Psalm 139. It talks about how wonderfully uh, he has created us and, you know, his hand, he's hedged us behind and before just all around and his hand is upon me. And I began to just eat that word in my spirit and and began to to really be healed from rejection i will say rejection has not been an instantaneous deliverance for me it has been a tearing it down limb by limb stronghold by stronghold thought by thought and sometimes situation by situation it is an ongoing process but let me tell you, when that feeling comes at me, I'm onto it now. And I mean, the word of God just comes up. I am accepted in the beloved. And I begin to speak that. Because if I don't, I can get really weird acting really fast. Um, you know, our emotions, Satan just loves to play on our emotions. And our the word emotion literally means um, it's from a Latin word that says e mover to move out. And boy, if you let those emotions get a hold of you, they will move you right out of a place of good and kind of move you into a crazy place. So I have learned to combat the word of God, to combat with the word of God on those emotions, and that spirit of rejection. I remember. Um, a lady in our church had told me about uh, when she was pregnant or when she would get pregnant when she was trying to start her family. Every time she would get pregnant, she would miscarry. And finally, after the second or third pregnancy, the doctor put her in a pregnancy girdle. And this girdle she would have to put on anytime she was up and it would help hold that uh, the baby in her womb. And I was thinking on that one day and the Lord said, people who don't rein their thoughts in, do not take, uh, take control over their thoughts. It's like that. They, they lose what I'm wanting to impregnate them with or what I have put in them. They'll lose it if they do not rein their thoughts in. Romans 8, 5 says, those who do mind the things of the spirit live according or live according to the spirit. They, um, that word literally means do mind or set your mind on. It means to reign as if the midriff, uh, to, to reign in your midriff or to curb. And that's what we have to do with our mind, um, and our thoughts. We have to rein them in. And bring them under subjection to the, what the word of God tells us to do. First Peter one thirteen, gird up the loins of your mind. That's what that's talking about. Yeah, I uh, often quote the scripture when I start, my mind starts going places I know it shouldn't. I often quote that scripture. I'm taking my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. And it does make a difference. You know, it makes a huge difference. You take those thoughts captive 
and then can start, you know, thinking about what is pure and holy and good and, you know, all of those things that the Lord tells us to think on. And it is a practice. You have to do it every day. You have to, it's a habit you have to develop. Yeah, it's not a one-time deal. (laughs) So you also had a battle with fear and that really came to head during your battle with cancer, but it wasn't what everyone might think. Share your journey and uh, what God spoke to you that brought you freedom from fear. I've always had a, just, I had a debilitating fear that something was going to happen to one of my children. I mean, I would just, it was like paralyzing. I didn't want them, I didn't want them in the car with anybody. I was just overly protective. And that kind of caused friction between my husband and me because he was like, we're not raising our children like this, you know, but I, it, it would just take me, just paralyze me. Um, and when I was diagnosed with cancer and I had to have, um, I had several surgeries and then, uh, six months of chemo and my son was just in first grade when this happened and it was really taking a toll on him. We could tell he was just uh, starting to withdraw. And so my husband took him to Tulsa. I did all my treatment in Tulsa at the uh, Cancer Treatment Center of America. And he said, well, I'm taking him with us. So whenever I started my chemo, he went up there with us And then my mother was up there also, and she was going to uh, drive him back. I was just like, that paralyzing fear was starting to grit me again, that something was going to happen. They're going to have an accident on the way back. And, but I was flat on my back with that chemo dripping in my, going in my port and I could do nothing about it. And whenever that happened, the Lord so spoke his word to me out of Acts 17, 28. It says, it is in me that you live and move and have your being. But he spoke personally. He says, it is in me that Nicholas lives and moves and has his being. And whenever he said that, something in my spirit just caught and the fear left. I have never but one time in 25, over 25 years now, had another battle with fear. That was instantaneous. The rejection is an ongoing process. The word of the Lord is powerful. And that word came straight from his throne room right into your spirit. So the fear had to leave. That spirit of rejection, you said it was, you know, it's a battle. Um, But he helped you kind of give you a revelation during your time with cancer uh, that also helped with that battle against rejection. How did he do that? Did um, during well after I finished my treatment, I was looking in the. I'd gotten out of the shower one day and I was looking in the mirror and I mean I was bald. My skin was sallow. You know, no glow about it. I was deformed. Um, I looked in the mirror and I was just kind of aghast at what I looked like. But then. I remember thinking, I've never felt more loved by God or by man. And I wrote that very same thing in my journal. I mean, during that process, people just showed up 
they kept my kids uh, before school started at the end of the summer. I literally went all over town gathering at my my children's stuff because people were just reaching out. They brought meals for months for us, uh, cards from people I didn't even know. Um, in town, churches would um, write me saying, we've prayed for you today. I had never felt more loved. You know, even in our hardest times and things that we would never, ever have chosen, God can show himself strong, a strong healer. Amen. Yeah, so that physical healing was happening, but God was doing a deeper spiritual work in you, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Wouldn't take for it. So God brought you through that. He gave you several decades, a couple decades of joyful church ministry. But then you and Lonnie hit another rocky and painful season as, as life tends to do. You know, God brings us through different seasons to do different work in our life. But in the midst of that, God was working. Tell me what you went through and what God showed you, how you applied it in your life. The um, church that we had planted, um, it was a wonderful ministry, just full of wonderful people. Uh, probably 18 or 19 years into the, into the, the church's life, um, some decisions were made that disgruntled people and the church split. It was, um, I've had people that have been through a divorce compare a church split to a divorce. It, it is just so painful. And I let myself burn out spiritually. I mean, and it was no one's fault on that, but my own. Um, I just let the pain in, engulf me. Anyway, after um, 21 years of pastoring there, my husband stepped down. We were just spent, uh, very hurt, felt very betrayed. However, the Lord just doesn't let anything go. I mean, he loves us. He wants us whole. He's, he's always got a plan, and he will use anything, anything in our lives for our good. Um, he brought me to a place of forgiveness. Um, I remember uh, years ago, I heard Joyce Meyer talking about people have such a hard time forgiving. And, he, and she says, it's because they don't follow the word. Um, in Matthew 5, 44, the Lord says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. And that's a, a speaking it. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So I knew that and I began doing that. I began um, loving in that, you know, the word loving, it, that's not talking about emotion. That's talking about doing what is best for the other person, for whoever betrayed you or, or offended you or whatever. So I, any opportunity I got, I would do that. Uh, I would not just so many times whenever we're, think we're forgiving someone we just won't speak about them but we don't bless them and the word says bless them bless them speak good things about them there's everybody has something good you know I don't care how you feel about them there's good in that person 
um, do good to those who have offended you and then pray for those who spitefully use you. And when I began to pray, and I mean really pray for the, the person, the Lord one day just showed me a picture of this one person. And I saw this person as a young child, just full of hurt. And I, the Lord changed my perspective. And I was able to see that person in a totally different light. Um, but it wasn't automatic, you know. Forgiveness is a journey a lot of times. So you you just keep doing it. Um, another thing is quit talking about it. For goodness sakes, you know, I've learned if you have a need to tell someone about how someone's hurt you, you still got some forgiving to do. So, um, and I do know that if God requires it, like forgiveness, he gives us the grace to walk through it, always. And my favorite definition of grace is uh, his favor that empowers us to obey him. And he does that. I um I was reading in in Ephesians six eighteen. Of course, it's the you know section that says put on the full armor of God, and at the end six eighteen says you know and pray on all occasions in the Spirit. And I looked up that word prayer, and in Greek, that is more fully defined as going to God and giving Him your human wishes, letting it be replaced with His wishes as He fills you with faith. And, you know, when we, when we, and I didn't say it exactly right, but, um, but, you know, when we start praying for those who despitefully use us, God, that's what exactly what God did for you. I mean, you were giving him your desire, you know, you were giving him the hurt, the your desire to say, God, you know, my desires aren't, aren't probably in line with yours. So I'm going to give you my desires and ask you to give me yours. And that's, he gave you that compassion for that person and probably many others, uh, but it's so important for us to understand that our feelings and emotions. It, it's a journey, but you know, you can never, ever go wrong by obeying yeah. God. Ever, ever. Gloria, you had mentioned to me that you also had a need to forgive yourself because when you looked back, you saw things that you wish you had done differently. And how did the Lord bring you to a place where you could actually forgive yourself from mistakes you thought you made? I believe part of that is just I, I got into the word and I, you know, if the Lord says it, uh, it's true. And so it was going back to Psalm 139, what the Lord says about me and, and repenting, you know, in um, John, first John, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And that's what we do. I mean, it's a, uh, that word confess, it's a present tense. Whenever the Lord brings something up that you could have done differently or the, a sin, you confess that. And he is so faithful and so just. And just walking in the word and knowing who I am in him and that I am forgiven because he says I'm forgiven. I'm covered by that blood. So what does God have you doing now, and what's he showing you? As you mentioned earlier, I have been involved with CASA, 
that takes some time. I'm still involved with the women's Bible, with a woman's Bible study, a, a smaller one. Uh, my husband and I are in the process of starting a new ministry. We really not don't know what it's going to look like right now, but it's we're calling it Serve 127, which is taken from James 127. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but we know God's in this, and we're excited about that. Amen. Um, and what advice would you give to encourage listeners today? in their walk with the Lord. I mean, there's so much going on in the world. How can you encourage listeners today? Oh, get into the word and spend time in his presence. Give him the first fruits of your day so you can get settled for the day. That's so important. Let him speak peace to you first thing in the morning. He will. And then just believe his word. Believe if it's written, you can... Bank it. Bank on it. You can count on it. Well, as we close, would you share about a woman in the Bible who's inspired, encouraged, or taught you something? You know, I would have to say Rahab. I, <laughs> Even though she's Rahab the harlot, I just loved her. Um, you know, she came from a pagan society. She was a prostitute. And yet she had grown up with these stories of hearing about the God of Israel and she believed them. And I think that's what so inspires me is she heard and she believed. And she ended up in the genealogy of Jesus, which is amazing to me. Um, and, you know, she married Salmon, who was a prince in the house of Judah. And when she married him, she ended up in one of the most prominent families in Israel, a prostitute from a, she was a Canaanite prostitute. But that just so encourages me that, that God will do that for every one of us. If we will just, when we hear about God, we believe it. When we read about God in the word, we believe it. If he says it, we believe it and we do whatever he says. We believe and we back that belief up with actions. That's what Rahab did. That's how, why she so inspires me. Mm, that is really, really good. Well, you know, Matthew 22, uh, 35 through 38, recounts a discussion between a Jewish leader and Jesus. Um, it says one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, you know, that's just exactly what you just said, Gloria. I mean, if you hear about God, do it. If we're loving him with our heart and our soul and our mind, that's moving us to action and obedience. Like Gloria, are we willing to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, care for the orphans and widows? And whatever the Lord's directing us to do individually in a day, that's what God's asking us. And when we do that, he shows up strong on behalf of us. Gloria, would you take a moment and pray for our listeners? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I pray for every woman listening that she will believe you like Rahab did. I pray that the word of God becomes so very precious to her and that she begins speaking God's word over difficult circumstances that she faces. Father, I ask you to illuminate scripture to her as she scours over your word and that that word becomes her battle cry for the strongholds that need to come down in her life. I pray that each lady will be steadfast to put a girdle on their thoughts and bring them into obedience to your word. I ask these things in the mighty, strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, friends, Gloria shared how God's been speaking to her out of James one twenty seven to care for orphans and widows in their distress. And because of caring listeners like you, we're in the process of helping provide for the needs of several children orphaned by terrorist attacks in Israel. And there are other widows and orphans all over the world who need to experience the tangible expression of God's love right now. Many have special needs that we as a company of women can meet together. Is God speaking to you about that? If so, will you consider joining us with a special gift to help? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the Widow and Orphan tab at the top of the page. Thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you'll find scriptures and other information we talked about, and you can also get a six-week devotional on Women of the Bible that you can download for free or purchase our 12-week devotional that we'll mail to you for just $12, knowing that all of our proceeds go to the Widow and Orphan Fund. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. Give us a call anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. Now, dear friends, I bless you from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.